What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals podcast. And today our guest is Shane Melanson. Shane is a very successful real estate investor. He tells us all about his story. He got started at a young age. He hustled, he worked very hard, he networked well, he became a millionaire on paper by the time he was 30, made some changes, got out of residential real estate, got into commercial real estate, and now he coaches others, coaches busy professionals in how to get into commercial real estate, how to invest successfully in commercial real estate for busy, high-paid professionals. Today, we go through a few of his case studies, lessons that he's teaching his students, and strategies that they're using today to generate passive income, passive cash flow to replace their income, whether they want to retire or whatever they want to do to build that passive cash flow and live their life how they want to live it. It's a great interview. Shane's a fun guy to talk to, and this is a fun one. We did a Facebook live uh, live stream on this one. If you want to see those in the future, just add me on Facebook, and uh, you will see those. We had quite a few people tuning in, so that was a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator, meaning I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I had a fun time recording this one. You're going to have a fun time listening. Without any further ado, here we go with Shane. Shane, thank you for joining us on Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Perfect. Yeah, glad to be here. Great to talk with you. You've got a lot of great things to share. Uh, before we get into the lessons, can you tell us about your background and how you got into real estate investing at a, at a young age and, and hustled and made it happen? Yeah, yeah sure. So, um, so I, I live here in Calgary, Alberta, and uh, I grew up in a kind of a small logging town. Both my parents were teachers. And I guess at a young age, I was, I was always interested in uh, making money, right? I mean, when, you know, I had friends that were business owners and they always seemed to have kind of the fancy toys, went on expensive vacations. And it's not that, you know, parents as teachers, that was good, right? I mean, I, 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 I never went without, but we, we certainly felt uh, pressure, if you will, when unexpected bills came in. And so for me, just that, that was, that was always uh, important. Uh, fast forward, I go to university. I'm back for my first year and uh, building logging roads. And uh, I had saved up, I don't know, 13,000 bucks that year. And uh, my buddy came to me who was very successful. And I, I, I didn't really know what he did, but he uh, invited me to invest in my first quote unquote opportunity. Uh, when my dad learned about it, he didn't want to miss out on it. And uh, you know, there was other people in white court that put, I don't know, probably close to a million dollars into this venture. Wow. Needless to say, uh, nothing, uh, came of it. We lost everything. Oh man. And so that was really kind of a rude awakening for me. You know what, when you're 19, you lose 13,000, you think that it's the end of the world. Yes. But in perspective, my parents had just paid off their house. They took out a mortgage for a hundred thousand to invest in that deal. Wow. And so when I saw them spend the next 10 years to pay that off, uh, that was kind of like a real trigger event for me, if you will, in terms of just just like really distrusting and not knowing whether or not investing was was even uh, a viable option. So uh, to your point, I mean, we talked a little bit before this. Uh, I worked a lot. Uh, obviously, I had to then now pay for school. So I worked uh, in the bars and coaching kids. And uh, at that time, I was living in a basement suite. And my buddy was a bartender 
and he had owned like, he, he, he was on his third or fourth house. And I was looking at this wondering like, how is this guy? He didn't go to, you know, he dropped out of university and now he's got four rental properties. He's paying nothing because he's got three roommates. We pay for everything. And uh, I decided to kind of set aside my skepticism of real estate. Uh, picked up a Robert Kiyosaki book. I'm sure, you know, Classic. 90% of people that invest in real estate, you know, they, they all kind of get the rich dad, poor dad. And then I kind of went down a couple of rabbit holes with various uh, people that taught how to invest in real estate. And I think at 23 or 24, I bought my first uh, townhouse. Three months later, I bought a fixer upper. And then I just kept going from there. Um, and so, I mean, I'm happy to, happy to talk about that, but, but the residential side of it is not that exciting, quite, quite frankly. It's just, it's just, that's how I got started. Uh, and I made okay money, but it was cause it was in an up market, right? Mm -hmm. If you're buying an 04 to 08 and you're, and you're just seeing the market go like this, it covers up a lot of mistakes. And so while I thought I was quite smart, uh, I realized uh, quickly in 2008 uh, and it had nothing to do with the financial crash. It was just, I had lots of money and I, I was investing um, stupidly and uh, I put 250,000 into a deal that uh, didn't, didn't pan out. And then that was my second big lesson. So that's, that's a Cole's, Cole's notes of how I got started. <laughs> so that got us started and uh, you were working really hard. Uh, you were a millionaire on paper at 30 years old, which the vast majority of people uh, cannot say, and, and you may or may not agree, but probably self-made millionaire, you might consider yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm putting those words in your mouth from your- from No, your I was. I, 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 yeah, I didn't have any, there was no help. Uh, it was all uh, essentially on, on me, but um, uh, yeah, on paper, right? That, that's the key. So <laughs> you yeah. make a bad investment that, that you, you can get flipped upside down. <laughs> yeah, Quick. so you, uh, absolutely. And, and you made that shift at, at one point and moved from- residential to commercial. And that's what I wanted yeah. to discuss with yeah, you today, making that shift from residential to commercial and, and why it's, it's better generally speaking, but also for you know, busy professionals. If we're high income professionals that need to make investments and replace that income someday, yeah. why should we be investing in commercial real estate rather than residential? Yeah. Well, so uh, when I was, I think I was 26 at the time, uh, a good friend of mine asked me to apply for a job at Sun Life Financial as a commercial underwriter, commercial lender. And uh, it sounded really cool. And I thought, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an investor now. Uh, how different can it be? Well, I can tell you, I learned uh, like just so much in that, in that three years that I was there. We were lending our small team of about five. Uh, we, I think our, um, our budget for the year was about 300 million. So you see a lot of deals, wow. right? And you see office, industrial, retail, multifamily, land. Uh, and, and every once in a while, a couple of individuals would come in, you know? So generally we worked with pension funds, REITs, publicly traded companies, wealthy families. But then you'd see individuals come in, one, one or two guys, and they would, they would come in and I'm thinking like, how the hell do these guys have $5 million to be able to invest in, you know, a retail property? Well, it turns out they don't have $5 million. They raise it from a group of people, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I quickly learned this concept of syndication. And, uh, but there was still you know, quite a few holes in, in my plan and in, in being able to jump from residential to commercial. So um, I met, uh, I, won't, I won't go into the big story, but my wife uh, 
I was dating her. Her dad was a big commercial real estate developer and investor here in Calgary. They've got a publicly traded company. And um, he found out what I found out that I was in investing and, and kind of saw my, my perseverance and hustle. And uh, when I lost my 250, he basically said to my wife, uh, if Shane's interested and he's, and he's serious about doing this, um, let him know I'm going on a business trip down to Houston and uh, Palm Springs and California. And if he wants to come along, happy to, happy to have him. So to be clear, I paid my own way. Like everything was on my dime. And after that trip and that, those meetings, I just like, like I was, I was now moving towards, like I could see a clear path how to do this. And so I was very fortunate, obviously, to have uh, someone that could kind of take me under his wing and really show me, um, you know, like how to do deals properly, how to structure deals, how to find them, how to raise capital, uh, how to talk to investors, how to conduct yourself in a meeting, how to tour a property. I mean, I'd be in a board meeting and I'd ask a question. And after the meeting, I, Andy would basically like say, look, if you're going to ask a question, ask a question. And if you already know the answer to it, don't ask the question. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, it was like very direct, but I tell you like that is the best way to learn. And, uh, and, and I owe a lot of my business acumen, like, you know, for me, uh, to, to that, you know, those meetings and conversations. And it's not like he ever said, Hey, I will mentor you. He basically said, here's an opportunity. It's up to you. Right. And I ended up leaving Sun Life. I went full tilt. Uh, I started working with him on his on his uh, commercial real estate team where we actually helped other people buy and sell commercial real estate. And my focus was really on the syndication. So that's how I started and, and happy to talk about some of the deals or some of the people that we've helped or anything. I mean, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to get into the details as to why you know commercial real estate is a good fit for busy professionals to invest. I mean, you mentioned syndications. I don't know if, you know, I know you have uh, mentoring, you know, clients or students, um, why you find it's a good uh, opportunity for them uh, because you know, not everybody, not all high professional, high paid professionals are out there looking to leave their jobs and go get a new job as a real estate investor. Sure. They want to yeah, yeah, prepare yeah. to replace that income. So, you know, let's get into that a little bit and you know, how you're working with your clients and, you know, what deals really are making sense. Sure. Well, um, I'll tell you about Dan, who uh, he's a physician here in Calgary, and he came to me a couple of years back and um, he had invested in residential real estate, right? Went to a real estate seminar and went out and bought an up-down duplex. And on paper, it was supposed to generate X amount. And, and really, when you start to look at the fine print on a lot of residential deals, like most of the returns are baked in on appreciation. Mm. and mortgage pay down. Yeah. But very little on cash flow, right? And so when Dan and I sat down, I said, "Okay, so you want to replace let's just pick a number, 250,000 a year. And you're getting if if the stars align, 200 bucks a month on this property. That means you're managing it, no vacancy, no repairs and maintenance, right? All of which are probably going to happen and as soon as it happens once, your cash flow for the year gets wiped out." Now, this is just in Calgary. I know that there's other markets where you can buy properties for for much less down and, and whatnot. I'm just, I'm just describing the, the scenario that we were in. And uh, he said, yeah, like it, I'm, I've got a second job and I don't want a second job. That's why I invested. That's why I worked my ass off at my, at, at my uh, clinic. So I said, okay, well look, 
uh, here are some of the opportunities for you, right? You got to first figure out where he wants to get to, what's, what he's comfortable with. He was not interested in value add, right? He's, he's too busy. He just wanted a core asset that was going to pay him predictably every month. Yeah. So he had a lot of money in the market and he, he basically took some of that money out and we went out and found him a retail property. So strip retail, grocery anchored, uh, Home Depot, very close by. Like this is like a, this is like a power center. And it just happened that this was a piece that was carved off because the main developer just didn't want this, you know, the, some of the parcels they would carve off, sell off to smaller individual developers. This developer bought it, built it. And then his goal was he just basically gets in and out. So uh, he, he was prepared to sell it off market deal off market, meaning it wasn't officially listed. And I got tapped on the shoulder. I went to Dan and I said, look, here's the opportunity. So fast forward, it took about four months. Uh, and I'm not going to say that it was a smooth deal. Like I don't, I think most people that when they get into real estate, uh, especially commercial uh, deals always have not always, but they generally have some bumps along the way. And this was no different. But uh, that's why having kind of that clear focus and knowing that it was, it was something that he really wanted to do. And he wanted to be the principal in the deal, right? He did not syndicate it, meaning he didn't go out and raise any equity. He just needed someone to kind of shepherd him along the way and introduce him to the right lender, the right property manager, the right lawyer. Um, and so that deal now kicks off about 6,500 a month. His mortgage goes down 7,000 bucks a month. Is he retiring? No. But now he's in a situation where when it is paid off, um, he'll generate about 295 to 300,000 a year, assuming his rent stay flat. So it was, he's, he's very happy and now he's looking for other properties. And because he knows that they're bigger deals, he's probably looking at raising equity or syndicating deals from, from his uh, group, his network. That's great. I mean, it, you, if you spend enough time in the syndication space, you're going to run into doctors who bought a yeah. few properties on their own and they had there their colleagues tapping them on the shoulder saying, Hey, uh, can I get in on that? Yeah, um, that that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it happens all the time. Um, but for this particular situation, uh, I'd like to dig into why he didn't want to do value add and just buy like a cash flowing asset. And you know, what would a value add require, particularly in, you know, like a retail strip center type of, uh, situation well yeah so uh we kind of we, we sat down and he was kind of quick to realize his strengths and weaknesses and if you've never bought a retail property an industrial property the leasing is much different right if you don't understand commercial leases i mean in this on his property they were i think there were 55 60 page leases right and so if he was to go out and say find a property that had 20 percent vacancy needed significant capex needed to put in like a leasing plan i mean there's just more work and more energy and and potentially more risk and so he was just looking at it saying i'm getting x in the market i can get essentially like a seven percent yield over here i'm paying down my my mortgage another seven percent i've got rental bumps with four percent lifts in two and a half years so and i've got an x exit because this is a core asset like this is I mean if this goes to market there's going to be multiple offers so for all those reasons he had liquidity he had cash flow that aligned for him right if you're a syndicator it's harder to find it's harder to buy those kind of cash flowing assets and justify your existence in the deal mm. right for me that would never work I got to go out I develop right I'm I'm literally two miles from him 
and I've got a retail development that I bought the land, found an anchor tenant, a gas station and a, and a, a quick service Q, QSR. And, um, and then we've got another 8,000 feet that we're leasing up right now. Well, that's a three year deal. My partner and I, we've got personal guarantees. Like it's just, it's just a different level of risk, but obviously the reward is, is much higher. Right. So it's oh, yeah. just, but he's not going to go out and do a development on his first deal or a, a big value add. Right. I mean, it'd be, I would never push him into that cause it'd be, it'd be setting him up for uh, for potential failure. Yeah. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't fit his particular goals anyway to, uh, um, build that passive income. Um, yes. and I, I think something that's very notable in that is just the difference in cash flow that he's earning on a, a commercial piece of property compared to a single family or even an array of single families or so much more management intensive and maintenance intensive and just generally cash flow less. I think really in in all markets, you know, prices have gone up pretty much everywhere in all the decent yes. markets. So it makes a lot of sense to go with a retail center. Well, I mean, the retail just happened to work for him, right? I mean, other clients will say multifamily, I'm more comfortable with. Maybe I want to do a multi-bay industrial. But you hit on something that I think I, I, I kind of glossed over. And that is um, when he had his residential house, he was the one that was managing. He had a property manager. They did a horrible job. So he ended up going burning through a couple. And then he's just like, I mean, it's easier for him to just manage it than to try to find someone and hope that they do a good job for 200 bucks a month. Now his property manager is it's baked into the lease, right? So they're making a couple thousand bucks to manage this property. However, it's the tenants paying, not him. So he's able to afford like a, a quality. I mean, that, that's what a triple net lease provides, right? There'll, there'll be a property manager provision in there. And, uh, and that's all they do. So in say two to three hours a month, so it's not completely passive, but it's, it's pretty residual. I mean, he can be in Maui and on a phone and say, send me the reports and what's going on with the property. And, uh, and you have property managers that are fighting for these properties. So it's, it's just that that's probably one of the things that maybe some, um, outside investors wouldn't even be aware of in commercial real estate is just that, that real, uh, opportunity for pro professional managers. Not, yeah, professional managers, absolutely. And, and something that strikes me as you're, you're talking here is um, the, the tenant base is completely different. I mean, in a totally. single family or even multifamily, I mean, you're, you're dealing with people in their home, whereas retail, you're dealing with a commercial tenant, you're dealing with a company. It's, it's just not the same type of interaction with your tenant, right? Uh, compared to That's renting right. a residential property. Yeah, I mean, these are 10-year deals, 10-year leases, personal guarantees, um, significant covenant. Uh, some of them are national or regional tenants, meaning they've got multiple locations, you know, decent balance sheets. So it's all, yeah, it's, uh, you're just dealing with a different level of sophistication. Now, the, the flip side is, like people need to be aware of this, is when a retail tenant or an office tenant or an industrial tenant goes down, you might be vacant for six months. And then and you've got costs associated with backfilling it, right? You've got leasing commissions, maybe tenant improvements. Um, so there's, I mean, there's no, uh, I mean, if, if there was just, if it was like the, the perfect investment, then everyone would do it. But there's, I think it's good to just kind of show that it's not, um, that, that there's, you know, two sides to the coin. Absolutely. I'd also like to touch on you, know, any other clients like that, that aren't uh, clients of yours, that aren't investing in, in retail, maybe they're going, 
self-storage, multifamily, anything like that, and, and really address some of those stories um, and their experiences too. So we're getting a, a diverse uh, couple of examples of sure. folks you're helping in this. Yeah, area. yeah. Well, um, so one client I helped uh, buy multifamily in Houston and Dallas. And um, this was at a pretty good time. We went, back, we went down into the U.S. in about 2009. And so wow. the, you know, the, the reason I, I'll, I'll kind of bring this, this uh, story up is um, I believe with what's going on in the, in the world today that there's going to be, I mean, there's already fear, right? And so generally when, when there's fear and uncertainty, people will pull back and you, you just don't see the same velocity of deals. So in 09, um, being in Canada, we weren't, <laughs> maybe we were naive. We just didn't, we just didn't feel the same pain that was going on in the US. Uh, the banks never tightened up. I mean, th there was a dip for a little bit, but it, it bounced back very quickly. Uh, whereas in the US, I mean, I was making connections on LinkedIn with top commercial brokers and flying in, they'd never, they, they didn't know me from, from, from Adam or whatever the phrase is. And, uh, and they took us seriously because they still needed to move these properties. And I can tell you that uh, those three deals, I mean, I, I won't get into the details, but it was like they tripled their money on some of these properties. And um, it was because they're, they, were, they were like able to act. They knew exactly what they wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and essentially we just developed those relationships at a, at a good time. Um, here's, here's, I guess, one thing that maybe some people won't, uh, maybe necessarily know if you're out, if you're on the outside, commercial real estate is very different than residential. So getting a relationship with a broker to take you seriously, if you have no track record is not easy, right? I mean, either you will leverage like someone else, right? A mentor or a coach, uh, a lawyer, someone that you have a relationship with to get that introduction. Um, or when the market turns like it is right now, the reality is you might actually get a phone call back um, but, but what I would say is that, um, once you do your first deal, and this is exactly what I told Dan, this is exactly what I told Zach and Nico and Carlene and all the people that I'm dealing with is that as soon as you do your first deal, you're real, you're a player, you're in the game. And all of a sudden, because that sale now is going to show up on CoStar and RealNet and all the different places. And so any broker that deals in those asset classes is going to now say, oh, look at this. Who's this Dan guy? He just bought a $5 million property and I don't know him. I'm going to cold call him. And now the, the tables are turned, right? Now you got a broker calling you saying, hey, I've got another retail property in close proximity. Would you have a look at it? And so one of the mistakes I see is Someone goes out, buys a property, they get, they show up on the radar, they run out of capital, they can't pull the trigger for three more years. And it's like, you, you know, when you're, when you're in demand, you can't take advantage of it. And so that's kind of one of the things that I talk about in terms of raising capital and being prepared for your next deal. Because, um, you know, it, that, that, that's exactly what happened in the US. Bought the first deal, boom, we saw 20 more. And had, wow. you know, hindsight being what it is, we should have bought everything, but we bought <laughs> 750 units. So we did okay, but not, not enough. <laughs> well, you know, uh, um, you'd rather be on the, the side of the equation where, Hey, we should have bought more than, Hey, we bought too many. So fair enough. You're, yeah. you're on the right side of that at yeah, least. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, you, you're, we've mentioned syndication a couple of times and yeah. we've talked about syndication on the show before, uh, but I also, I'd like to really get into um, how many of your clients that are busy professionals yeah. are also doing, you know, syndication on the side. I mean, I'm, I'm a busy professional, but I do syndication in my free time and yeah. I know many other people that do, but sure. is that, am I in a bubble? Is that common? What's your experience? You know, I, here's the thing. I think, um, so I, I wrote a book called Club Syndications, right? And, and, the, and the premise behind that was, um, I think syndications today are like, especially what I see in the US is, is um, more mass market because you guys have the Jobs Act and you can, you can attract investors that way. Um, yeah. I believe there's those type of opportunities in Canada, but I, I, it's just not the way that I have raised capital. It's usually like like a, a club, like like you mentioned earlier, the doctor, right? He goes up, buys a property. Six of his colleagues say, "Hey, can I come in on your next deal?" And and essentially now he's got to figure out how do I do this? I'm finding the deal. I'm signing the mortgage. I got to get paid for doing all this, and so they kind of uh, morph into it. But I think yeah, you are starting to see people that are wanting to get into the business of of investing in real estate right? When you're just doing it on your own, you're generally investing for legacy and, and long-term preservation. Uh, when you're in the business, you're generating fees and revenue. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, look, I'm dealing with some prof professionals right now that are uh, a little bit nervous. They, they had a pretty consistent income in the past that just got cut in half or by 70% in some cases. And they're saying, you know what? Um, how do I do this, Shane? Like, you, you, you make it sound easy, but I can't connect all the dots. How do I structure it? How do I find the deal? How do I, you know what I mean? And so uh, uh, for me, I don't, I don't think it's complicated, but, but it, that, that's because I've been doing it for a while. So if I tried to do their business, I'm sure I'd be overwhelmed as well with a hundred questions. Yeah. Yeah. You're, if, if you had to go operate on somebody or something for to take yeah, the, that, the doctor be a bad example, idea. <laughs> yeah, that might not, uh, that might not work out well, but that's a great point. I mean, we, when, what's that saying that when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. And you know, when, when the tide goes out economically, we see uh, who only has one stream of income yeah. and it's Good a, point. it's a big concern. And, and yeah. in the last recession, some people made a lot of moves to generate more, streams of income and now they're better off for it. That's right. That's right. One of yeah, them. absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> trust me, I've, I've had my, uh, I've had my wins and my losses and, and I can tell you, uh, like there's only one guy that I've ever heard say that he's never lost money, uh, investing in real estate. Everyone else that I've dealt with has felt pain mm. and that pain is usually what helps them, avoid those kind of mistakes because I tell you um, I've structured deals wrong. I've raised money at too expensive a rate. I bought in, you know, a down market and uh, now they, you know, they've worked out, but personally I have lost in deals. Um, and when you experience those uh, you realize very quickly that you got to figure out the right way to do it. <laughs> that you do. Um... Yeah, no, I've, I've had some rough situations. If anybody that's listening is curious, ask me and I will send you the podcast episode number or the link where we discuss it. I won't discuss it here, but <laughs> it's been discussed on the show. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. 
Jane, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. I was kind of afraid you were going to answer these ahead of time with what you're saying. So I, th I think we'll, we'll get, dig a little deeper here. Yeah, sure. First question, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Other than in my education? Other than not your education. Okay. Um, we just assume that was the best investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, best investment. I would say my mountain bike. Um, just the amount of fun that I've had going out into the mountains with my brother, my brother-in-law. And uh, I, was, I was actually in Peru and we, we were going to do the uh, Inca Trail. And the nice. day before we rented mountain bikes. This is going back 10 years or maybe more. And if you asked me about that, that trip, and most people would talk about the Inca trail. I talk about the day of mountain biking. Cause I had so much fun. I literally came back, went out, bought a Rocky mountain altitude. And, uh, literally last week I sold it because I'm planning to get a new one. So, nice. uh, yeah, nice. that, that, that's, that was my best investment. And I actually got my money back on it. So it was, <laughs> I lost money, but I didn't. Eh, you know, well, yeah. I, I like that very much. I've been to Peru. I loved it. Did the Inca trail for a little nice. bit. That was great. I would not go mountain biking there though. Wouldn't want to see their, the inside Dude, of the it, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. I won't wow. even, I won't even tell you. <laughs> I love it. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now, what is the worst investment you ever made? Um, well, the land I bought in Costa Rica was definitely the worst investment I ever made. And, uh, I bought it emotionally. I was, um, I was so eager to get my cash out because I'd made a couple of big wins. And that's one of the things I see with people that have, you know, significant cash either just sitting there and it's like, they feel like it's, you know, they're losing, right. Because it's not uh, yeah. an investment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was the sense that I had. And I can tell you now I've, I'm far more patient. It's okay to, to sit on cash. You don't need to make uh, rash decisions. That was a horrible uh, decision on my part. I still own the land, but. So, so what made it uh, a, a bad investment? Did it collapse in value or like? So I bought the land with the intention of building a house and being able to rent it out, mm -hmm. right? This was what was sold to me. Um, I did not understand and I didn't know at the time that you couldn't even get to the land. It was unserviced. Ah. It was, it was falsely represented and you know, the developers in lawsuits and all the rest of it, but that doesn't help me. You know what I mean? It, it, it's really like, if you take responsibility for your investments at the end of the day, it was on me. I, I, I screwed up now. Sure. I can point the finger and, and some of the guys that I think are in jail because they, they did falsely represent. Oh, no. uh, um, but had I just taken a trip down, I would have quickly seen there's no way in hell this thing's ever getting built. Uh, but I didn't, I was, I was, uh, way too emotional and, uh, it sounded cool when you're 28 to say you got land in Costa Rica right near a surf town. <laughs> that is cool. I, yeah. I, I won't lie. That is pretty cool. <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Oh, that's a really good question. The most important lesson that I've learned in business and investing, I would say the lesson that I take into my deals is, um, I was, I was out for a coffee with a gentleman. Uh, he, my father-in-law invited me. This guy's 
I mean, if, if you Google, Googled him, he's probably like the, I don't want to say Donald Trump, but he's like the, you know, he's, he's like the, he's like the main guy. He's like a Sam Zell in, mm. in Canada. Uh, he runs like a cool. $30 billion company. And he just made a comment and he said uh, to, to me, he's like, look, I think the phrase is uh, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And the idea behind that is like, don't be greedy. If you can make money, like you're never going to go broke making money on a deal. And so I've really thought about that uh, because sometimes I've held on to properties too long past their life cycle. And uh, because I, I was holding out, I was trying to squeeze an extra nickel or, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. you know, I, hypothetically speaking, but, but um, today I, I, I take a much different approach. I don't try to extract everything out of the deal. If I can leave something in there for the next person, fine. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not looking at it as I, for me to win, he has to lose that. That's uh, uh, I know that there are some investors that are very successful. that take that uh, approach. It's just, it's just not for me. So. Wow. That's a, that's a good lesson. It's a great lesson. I love it. Thank you for everything you've taught us today. If folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, if they want sure. to get some uh, coaching mentoring, where can they get in touch with you? Probably the best place, just my website, Shane Melanson. M-E-L-A-N-S-O-N.com. Uh, there's links to my podcast and book and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, that's the easiest way. Thank you for joining us today. Once again, I really appreciate it. Great lessons to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. For everybody that tuned into the Facebook live stream, thank you for watching. Really appreciate you joining us and enjoying the lessons with us today. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.